Welcome to this week's Cycling Industry News podcast. We're bringing you this in association with Zyro Fisher. Uh, this week, we'll draw on the veteran knowledge of two of the bike industry's best-known mechanic trainers. We've Graham Freestone King of Bellatex Cycling and Sean Lally of Cycle Systems Academy. Um, we'll cover a lot of ground in this episode, as you might expect, with the industry currently desperately scrambling around for, for savvy on the tools. Um, recruitment of mechanics is, is certainly in demand at the moment. Um, if you're looking for, for a role, we, we have plenty on the Cycling Industry News Jobs Board. Um, if you'd like to refresh your skills, um, then get in touch with today's guests. So um, thanks for coming on, Sean and Graham. Um, let, let's start with that mechanic shortage that uh, the industry seems to be experiencing at the moment. Um, what, what have you guys seen on that front? Have you, have you got strong demand on the courses? If I start with you, Sean, perhaps. Sure. Um, honestly, we've been running training courses professionally since 2009. I've never had demand like it. It's been outstanding for us as a business, but it's been a bit tricky because we were closed for three months. So we've had supply squeezed and demand exponential. So we are currently full until December and that's booking up literally as we speak. People are phoning up saying, take my money. I want to be a bike mechanic, and they're booking on. So lots of people in furlough who've got the time, or lots of people who've had a bit of time to think about what they want to do, and they've always loved bikes, and they go, okay, this is it. I'm going to work in this industry. So I think a lot of people have just made up their minds that they really want to do something they love. And we had a really interesting one on the current course we're running at the moment, the first one since lockdown. And there's a really inspiring chap on it called Chris, who is a um, veteran with uh, disabilities, and he's been funded by Help for Heroes. They've really supported him. And they said to him, we'll only fund you if you've got a job offer. And Chris phoned me on a Thursday evening with this information. And I said, Chris, by tomorrow morning, I'll have your job offer. In fact, by the next morning, I had him four genuine job offers in his hometown. And I think that says everything you need to know. Wow. <laughs> That's good work. So, Graham, what, what about yourself? We're in a slightly, subtly different position to Sean um, insofar as into cycle systems, insofar as our main role at Velotech Central, so to speak, now is the training of trainers because we have a, a distributed training model. However, having said that, um, I would echo absolutely everything that Sean has just said about uh, demand. It has certainly skyrocketed. Our various Velotech training workshops who do our training on our behalf are all reporting uh, increased, drastically increased levels of interest. Um, the only ones that aren't, for fairly obvious reasons, are those that are based uh, in the prison service, uh, who have a fairly captive audience in every sense of the words. So those who exist outside of that, especially uh, within third sector and recycling businesses, uh, are definitely firstly reporting a huge amount of demand for their products in terms of recycled bicycles, which is understandable enough. Um, but as a result of that, of course, they're internally training their own volunteers 
using our certification process and they are receiving an increased number of inquiries from outside. Again, as Sean says, I think it's a combined thing of people looking for perhaps lifestyle change, uh, perhaps with rose-tinted spectacles about how difficult and demanding the job can be and the extent to which training can prepare them for the job once you get to the coal phase. Um, but also I think there's uh, people who just had the opportunity to do some research and to you know, Google some options in terms of how do you get started in, in the cycle industry once they've made that decision. Uh, I think possibly it's a decision some people have been along, coming to for a long while but haven't really been sure how to, how to get started. Uh, and, and as a result of having time off, they've had time to do a bit of research and to um, settle on, you know, the various different training options that are out there, be they through ourselves or, or through cycle systems or any of the other players in the market. Yeah, you put a, a percentage of, on the year-on-year increase, um, and, and to, to what extent would you attribute it to the to the furlough um, scheme that has been running? Mm. Ourselves, it's a bit hard to say because we were closed for three months, but we are opening up new courses that we wouldn't normally do, and that the fact we're booked ahead so far, like normally we have a two month lead time, whereas we've now got seven, eight month lead time. So I think we'd need an entire financial year or two to really look at the trend. But I suspect at the moment, the demand will outstrip the supply, even when, when and if we hope we can stay open. I'd echo that completely. I, I think it's dangerous to draw too many conclusions from what's possibly a short term blip, although it's a pretty sizable blip. Um, we've certainly introduced more train the trainer courses than I was planning to run in Q3 and Q4. Obviously, any plans that we made in Q1 are pretty pretty much redundant now anyway. Um, but we certainly doubled up on, on the train the trainer courses. Uh, and I don't have a train-the-trainer spot free now um, until well into next March, which is a pretty long horizon, really. Part of that, I'll be completely honest, is because we're running with a lower density of trainees in the workshop in order that we can do what we think is the right thing around um, COVID-19 social distancing we've actually reduced the number of trainees per course and we've never been a company that's had a lot of trainees per course i like a high ratio of uh, instructors to trainee so typically we run at one to four and currently we're running at one to two which is um, obviously low numbers um, but we're counterbalancing that by looking at doing more training on site so i'm just back in fact from uh, several days on site with a new Velotech training workshop down in Winchester. Um, we're also involved in bicycle recycling. So there's, there's an interesting um, sort of duality of role there, but it's not a duality of role that is uncommon amongst our customer base. And just uh, while we're, we're touching on the, um, the, the, the availability of uh, your courses, what, what courses do you run there? What, mod- what modules do you cover um, and uh, brand specific, I think, in your case? 
We're brand specific um, for Campagnolo and we also have modules for Mike. Uh, we run courses in uh, frame materials and design uh, as a backstop to all of those frame building courses that are out there. Um, then we out run an advanced wheel building course, which is in part, in part brand specific, but far more. It's about uh, conventional wheels, but built in unconventional ways. And then our standard courses, as it were, in common with the other players in the market, we have a level one, a level two, and a level three offering. Level one is more or less equivalent to um, a level one VRQ or um, a level one foundation modern apprenticeship. Level two, the same applies. We follow the exact uh, framework for foundation modern apprenticeship. The only difference is we don't require our, our students to be already involved in the industry. And then our level three course involves doing all of our additional modules over and above the level two course. So that includes the, the brand specific stuff, um, specialist road bike build, specialist mountain bike build. We probably lean a little bit more towards road bikes because that's where my particular passion lays. But we're also now actively developing alongside of the Light, Light Electric Vehicles Association, we're actively developing a new um, e-bike and e-mobility course, which I hope will also cover scooters and a few of the other slightly peripheral things that the bicycle trade historically has shied away from a little bit. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And what about you, Sean? What courses are, and modules are you currently running? Well, funnily enough, on the practical side, we've reduced the wide range of courses that we used to do. And we've just honed it down to the ones in the biggest demand, which has been the professional level two, which is certificate in engineering, and then professional level three, diploma in engineering. So the level two for people who are in the industry who want to get qualified or for people who want to come in, into the industry. And it's all the basic skills that Graham talked about, wheel building, brakes, gears, bearings. It's to really give you the fundamentals. Then level three is the advanced wheel building, suspension, rear suspension, advanced road group sets, hydraulics. And we've just had quite a big boost on the level three because uh, literally just last week, um, SRAM came on board as a major sponsor for us. So we've got a huge, big crate of 2020 and beyond equipment from SRAM and RockShox and Zip, etc. So we can be up to date because what Troy Laffey from SRAM said, who's head of um, product development there, technical ambassador, is that all the training establishments he visited were using old equipment because they're having to buy the equipment. And that is a challenge for us as trainers. So it's a really major coup for us. And in fact, um, we've worked in partnership with Graham because, of course, with him being head of technical for Campagnolo in the UK, he's not only got the decades of experience, but also access to the equipment as well. So our development over the last few years has actually been in the digital side. So we've been experimenting with digital training, webinar training, and Graham has delivered some of these with us. And in fact, we've got some new Campagnolo workshops with Graham teaching on them. And this really seems to be working. It seems to work for people. It can't replace physical training, but it can help 
already skilled mechanics learn new skills and it helps people to keep in touch with each other as well and for training companies such as Velotech and Cycle Systems to work together to raise the standard of mechanics across the country because we're all doing the same work and I think it works really well for us to have collaborations positively. And um, so you you mentioned there's there's a f- quite a bit of interest uh, fresh to the industry. Um, let's move on to mobile mechanics. Um, distributors are telling me there's quite a lot of uh, of these upstarts who who have perhaps gone through your academies who are now taking to the roads. Um, some some of which are actually absorbing some of the coronavirus-related spike in, in workshop demand. Um, are there a lot of people out of your academies heading in that direction, or are they preferring to settle in shops? Uh, where, where are they going once they finish the courses? Um, if I, you don't mind, Graham, I'll just jump in there first. Uh, the first thing to say is I'm the upstart here. You know, so I'm, I actually started as a mobile mechanic years after Graham was you know, doing bike mechanics. I've got tremendous respect for Velotech and what Graham does. So in a sense, yeah, we are the upstarts training the upstarts for sure. Um, many of our graduates want to set up as mobile mechanics because it's the lowest overhead, you know, way of getting into bike mechanics. And a lot of people, they're being quite savvy and realizing the industry is changing. And, you know, Even now, bike shops have been closing down. We tragically lost Colin Lewis Cycles just recently in Paynton in South Devon, which is local to us. Now, Colin Lewis was a Tour de France rider. He was uh, um, Tom Simpson's roommate. And even though it was run by Simon from Ask Cycles, Colin was still involved. So to lose such a wonderful repository of skill and culture was quite a blow. So I think a lot of people see this and they realize bricks and mortar and retail, not just across the bike industry, is maybe quite a risky and a very expensive way to start. However, one of our recent graduates who set up Cycle Direct up in Manchester, he was so successful in the the COVID spike when he launched, he's actually moved into a shop because he couldn't keep up with demand. He's taken on staff. So it may well be that some of the people that are setting up mobile now get so much into the business, they can, if they wish to, settle into a more bricks and mortar-based business. But I suspect the online retailers like Canyon and what have you, supported by mobile mechanics or networks of mobile mechanics, has got a major role in the future of the bike industry. Yeah, I would I'd absolutely echo that. Um, one sort of segment of what Velotech does is we also have a 25% shareholding uh, in a business called um, the Service Corps, and we provide service to events specifically, not just mechanic service, but also logistic and general organizational service. Uh, and of the guys that work with us on retainer in that business, um, a good half of them are actually mobile mechanics now. And I know from speaking to them that they're actually seeing some pressure from new mobile mechanic startups in their various geographical areas, which does go to underline what Sean has just um, very ably 
illustrated is the fact that there are people coming in who see mobile mechanics as uh, the, the least cost option for, for a startup. Uh, and a good many of them understand very quickly as well that it's one thing to try and go and offer a mechanical service at place and servicing at place is again as Sean says is just echoing what's happening inside the retail industry generally with dealer direct brands but they're also understanding that when you go and try and offer service at place actually you're sometimes very restricted in what you can and can't do because you're going into a situation essentially blind you've never seen the bike before you don't actually know what it's going to require uh, and then that in itself gives you all sorts of scheduling problems whereby, you know, you go to, to do a cassette and, and, and chain change, for example, and you discover that you actually need to do a whole transmission. Oh, and by the way, your headset's loose and your bottom bracket's falling out the frame. Um, and so that gives a, you know, scheduling problem. Whereas if they do pick up and then return back to the premises for repair, they're finding that that's a better uh, and a more, practical way forwards and then the next logical step for them is to have a workshop base so i think a pure mobile mechanic entree into the system is a great way in there's no question if you've got the skill set for it uh it's, it's a great way in i think it then follows on that you'll end up with fixed uh, fixed place premises and that doesn't necessarily preclude you going out and doing repair work at place but I think it uh, bolsters your ability to do a good and professional job and I guess one of my concerns because ever the Jonah is that if we're not careful um, what we will end up with is mobile mechanics potentially getting something of a poor reputation because we'll have relatively inexperienced mechanics trying to go out there and offer a service uh, and not necessarily being able to fulfill to the extent that the owner of the bicycle would like. Um, I think that's saying that we have to be careful of within, within the industry generally, and it's certainly been a subject of discussion at the uh, Professional Bicycle Mechanics Association, which is uh, uh, an association I have in a, uh, a partnership with in the US. Do you think the uh, the current demand uh, for workshop can sustain? My, I mean, my local shop, for example, um, put me on a, on a two week lead time very recently, and I think that's that's echoed across across the country. Um, what what uh, would help sustain this demand over the long term? Um, do you think there will be more of these? B2C brands linking up with mechanics? Do you think it will be uh, infrastructure being laid down that, that steadies the demand? Um, I think we're all hoping that the the spike will, um, to, to use the government's phrase, will we'll, we'll flatten the curve of it a little bit and make it last a little bit longer. Um, do you think this demand can actually sustain in the market? Well, what we've noticed... Sorry, sure. you go. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. Um, that's what happens when we do it, just audio. Um, essentially, what I've noticed over the decades is once people start to cycle for transport, they tend not to go back. So with the 7-7 bombings in London, almost all the shops sold their bikes. Even Condor sold all their bikes because people wanted to ride home. And that literally, people just didn't go back to the tube. They started, well, this is great. So I think if people have got into a habit of riding their bikes, they're going to keep riding their bikes. And certainly all of the Facebook pages, like Ask a Bike Mechanic, that kind of thing, 
almost all of them are, I've just started cycling after 20 years. What do I do? How do I get this working? It's full of new riders, incredibly enthusiastic. People think, I've not ridden a road bike for 20 years. I've got up to 50 miles in, during furlough. And all of these bikes are going to need servicing. So I think the increased demand is here to stay. Absolutely no doubt. There seems to be a tremendous surge in creating infrastructure, albeit sporadically and less than perfectly. And, you know, but it's certainly better than in, in the US at the moment from speaking to James Wang recently about that. So I would hope that the demand for mechanics um, and mechanical services is here to stay because if the economy is prospering, people use bike mechanics. If people are struggling, people use bike mechanics. It's become one of those industries that seems to be resilient to anything. Yeah, I, I, again, I would echo what uh, what Sean says there. I think um, there'll be it won't be any one thing which supports the rise in demand that we're seeing at the moment and the continuation of the demand that we're seeing at the moment. I think it'll be multiple things. I think all of the all of the touch points that Sean's identified there. I also think that the increasing uh, technical complication of bicycles, even at a fairly basic level um, through trickle down from high-end bicycles into low-end bicycles. I think that's also going to strengthen the sort of cycle repair trade, if you will. There is no question I'm getting emails from people on a very regular basis. Obviously, in my case, it's very road bike biased and it's very biased actually towards towards the Campagnolo and the Fulcrum brands. But I'm getting an awful lot of technical uh, questions coming through from guys who are basically probably reasonable home mechanics, but have no real idea how to approach the technical complexities of a modern bicycle. Uh, and I think that's going to be not only the case with road bikes, it's certainly the case with mountain bikes, and it's certainly the case with e-bikes. So that rise in interest and rise in usage is also going to be reflected by, uh, or, or is also going to in- introduce the element that people are going to buy technically more and more complicated bikes. And, you know, some of these guys that I've spoken to that say I'm riding a road bike again for the first time in 20 years, or I'm riding a mountain bike for the first time in 20 years, quite often the follow-on from that is, and I can't believe how much more difficult they've become to work on, because obviously now we have all of the stuff around hydraulics, which requires a certain degree of, if not specialised knowledge, certainly uh, a little bit more mechanical aptitude perhaps, uh, and we've got all of the stuff around brand specificity. So just because you know how to bleed a Magura brake doesn't know doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to bleed a, a SRAM brake. So I think that's an interesting uh, an interesting, if you like, addition to some of the offering that we can make because not only can we offer for example a a home mechanics course as as, uh, we do and i think sean does as well um but we can also say well bear in mind this is giving you basic mechanical skills and if you want to take it further then there's any number of bolt-ons that you might want to do which is where i think you know sean's schemes and our schemes have a great strength which is that they're designed to be delivered in a modular fashion so people can go as far as they want or need to go without necessarily have to, having to take on board a long-term training commitment, uh, which may indeed end up teaching them lots of stuff that they are either not interested in or don't uh, have any great need to know. 
and I think probably you know having an agile training base uh, will help us to respond to the increasing complexity of bicycles and the increasing numbers of customers, not all of whom want to know absolutely everything there is to know about bicycle mechanics. Let's talk then about the um, evolution in the skills required to work on modern bikes. Um, we have electric bikes as the the obvious first to mention. Uh, there's integration of parts, which um, on many forums that I check in on is the uh, it seems to be 50-50 whether that's welcomed. And um, things like cargo bikes, which, uh, you know, there's um, a lot of new different designs working through now. Um, so with this evolution in, in skills, um, what, what extra are you having to teach at the moment? Well, it is challenging as the instructors, you know, their CPD is continual, absolutely continual. So my role as technical director is to hold all of this as an umbrella to make sure my trainers are being trained and I'm being trained. But essentially, it's keeping abreast of all of the knowledge and industry trends as well. So, for example, the fact Shimano Dior has just gone one by 12 I think will tip the hybrid bike, you know, one of the most common bikes we see out there just for general servicing. I will tri trip it from three by eight, which is what they still are mostly, or three by nine, to being a one by system, which would be a massive sea change in the, the basic skills needed. But things like e-bikes, it isn't so much that mechanics need to be electricians because they'll never be electricians. A lot of the challenges with e-bikes that preclude the owner from working on is actually the fact everything is internal so just to change a gear cable often means you need to remove the motor and the battery and there's you know a lot that can go wrong if people do that many owners won't want to do that so the actual skills you know you do the courses you, you keep up to date you do your campagnolo pro shop etc the professional mechanics can keep up to date on this. And I do think it's a very important sea change in attitude that the bike industry needs. Who was it who said the British bike industry was like Steptoe and Son? It was someone quite famous, wasn't it? And they're right in many ways. And I all the time come across bike shop owners or longstanding mechanics and they say, well, I've been doing this 20 years. I don't need training. And I say, well, I've been doing it longer and I do training every year. So I think it's recognizing the fact that even a simple task now may be beyond a home mechanic because of where the cables are going and where the components are. And the fact that even as a professional with a tremendous amount of experience, you're going to break that new RockShox fork if you've not been trained in how to use the damper. You're not going to be you know, doing a good job on the new Campagnolo group set if you've not been updated in the way to work on it. So we would just say to people, keep up to date, absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo that. Since we since we started Valatech in 2008, um, I think it's true to say I've spent between four and five, six weeks of every year uh, in CPD myself. Now, I regard myself as a fairly experienced mechanic and it seems to me that if it's necessary for 
somebody like myself who's been in in the mechanical side of the industry since I was 16 to, to do that CPD, then it's necessary for any mechanic. I think as well, we're, we're at an interesting stage. Many years ago, I was involved with the business and we actually reached um, an agreement with one particular distributor that they would not sell their products to shops who couldn't boast at least one graduate of our courses. Uh, sadly, that business um, subsequently failed. But um, that was an interesting breakthrough for us. And it's one that I don't think either Sean or I have ever actually managed to um, replicate. But I do think it's interesting that brands generally aren't taking a position whereby they say, if you want to work on our kit, you need to have an accredited mechanic. Because at the end of the day, if that product doesn't perform the way it's supposed to perform, having been serviced or installed by uh, a technician in a shop, then it's not usually the technician that either takes the blame themselves or that is given the blame, shall we say, by the end user. It's usually the brand. So I come across it all the while with, with Campagnolo because we are, um, whether we like it or not, the number three player in, in, in the road market um, after Shimano and SRAM, um, we get people come to us all the time saying, oh, this, this Campag stuff doesn't work. And when I see their bikes, and I do get people bring me their bikes uh, probably more often than I'd like in some ways, when I go through the bike, it's basically because the mechanic who's assembled it has done a shoddy job. It's not the brand's problem, it's the mechanic's problem. But then when you go to those mechanics, when you find out who's done the assembly job and you talk to the mechanic and you say, well, you know, in the nicest possible way, just give you a little bit of guidance. These are some of the things that that perhaps weren't as they quite as they should have been in this particular build. You do tend to find that the older mechanics, as Sean says, who've been in the in the trade for a long time, are extremely resistant to the idea that they may have been doing it for 20 years, but perhaps they've been doing it wrong for 20 years. Or they've become very imbued with one or two brands' methods of doing things. And they don't necessarily take on board the fact that not every brand should be treated the same way. I mean, SRAM and Shimano, for example, although they're both key in the market, both treated very differently in terms of assembly. Uh, and yet I see lots of SRAM bikes that were assembled um, as if they were Shimano. And the end result is that they don't work as well as they could do. Um, and oftentimes, blame is ascribed to the brand, not to the way that the product's been assembled. So from a manufacturer's point of view, I would like to see a stronger lead from manufacturers uh, who have high-end products, who have specialist, or not necessarily high-end, but who have specialist products saying, if you want to sell our products, we don't expect you to have done our training. We require you to have done our training. Uh, and I think that would be an important Rubicon for the industry to cross. And it's one that I hope that sooner or later we do. Okay. Well, certainly Bosch have, haven't they? I say Bosch are the only people so far that say yeah. you can't be a Bosch dealer and service centre until you've done the course with Mark Haylett. You cannot get that dongle to get logged in without that. To, to yeah. bring us um, sort of towards our close chaps, could I just have some words uh, on something I've noticed recently? Um, whether it's attributed to the spike in business or not, do 
mechanics wages um, has, has been raised uh, when the PBMA actually set out. I think they set out with with one of those goals. Um, do you think we're being paid enough for the skill set that we now have? Honest answer, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah, honest answer, no, we're not. I think because of the requirement for increased knowledge and also it's very easy, I think, for final customers to lose sight of the fact that, you know, a bicycle is a road-going road piece of kit. And if it goes wrong, in the worst case scenario, your customer is going to end up under the number 84 bus um, and probably not in a very um, good state of health afterwards. So I think it's important that, um, customers recognize that there is considerable worth to what bicycle mechanics do. Um, and it, the acknowledgement really has to start both from the employer's side that a good mechanic is probably worth his weight in spanners um, and from the retail customer's side that a good mechanic um, is basically looking after your life when you're out on the bike. So you want to be pretty sure that the guy isn't being pushed to do more work per unit time than he or she is comfortable with. Uh, and I think you want as a final customer also to, to have some security of knowledge that the mechanic is getting the CPD that they need. And all of that feeds into what the shop charges, because obviously if the shop isn't charging adequately, then the mechanic cannot be recompensed adequately. And I look at some of the workshop charges I see posted in shops and I just shudder because I think, well, what are you paying your mechanics then? because uh, you're certainly not charging enough per hour for labor or you're certainly not uh, charging enough for this menu, you know, this, this service menu that you've got posted in store. So I think there's a long, long way to go yet with proper recognition of what a good mechanic is worth to the business uh, and what a good mechanic should ask for in terms of salary. I might need to end it there, chaps, but uh, thank you very much for both of your input on a, uh, on quite a bit of ground we covered there. Um, thank you for listening to this week's Cycling Industry News podcast. Uh, once again, thank you to our guests, Sean and Graham, and to our partners, Zyro Fisher, for helping bring you this episode. And um, remember, measure twice, cut once. Mm-hmm.